We're in John's gospel as we just continue to to walk through this account that John gives us of of, uh, the life of Jesus. And it certainly doesn't tell us everything, uh, but it tells us some very, very uh, important things that uh, the Lord uh, would have us uh, to know through John. And as we, we come praying for a deeper belief in him. It was a dark and stormy night. Isn't that the way all good stories start, right? It was a dark and stormy night, and a mother was tucking her little boy into bed, and he was understandably a little, uh, little uneasy. Oh, he was scared, right? And the thunder and the flashes of lightning, and, and in a trembling voice, he asked his mom, Mommy, could you, could you stay in here with me tonight? And the mom tried to reassure him, oh, no, honey, nothing bad's going to happen. That's just stormy. It's just outside. It won't, it won't last long. And, and besides, I, I can't stay here with you. I gotta, I've got to go and, and, and stay with Daddy in his room. And the little boy thought for a moment. He said, that big sissy. <laughs> right? Oh, well, fears of childhood are, are one thing, aren't they? And maybe we look back and smile at some of them. But just because you get to be an adult doesn't mean you don't have fears anymore. And as we kind of walk into, again, a very familiar text probably to many of us, I want to kind of frame it with a question. What are you afraid of? And maybe it's not a dark and stormy night. (laughs) But maybe your fears... Or adult size. <laughs> Maybe your fear is of the next health crisis. Your fear of what's going to happen in the economy. The fear of are you going to have a job? The fear of are you going to be able to provide? Are you going to have enough? Maybe your fears run along relational lines of, of significant people in your life and what's going on in their life and some of the decisions that they're making and Maybe you have fears about what the future is going to look like for you and for them. Maybe you look at a crazy world and you say, What about my children? What about my grandchildren? As we think about our fears, I think one of the things that God wants to remind us through this gospel is that faith really works. It works not just for the sweet by and by, but it works for the nasty here and now, right? It works even in the midst of those fears. I want to take you to John's gospel right after the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus sends his disciples into a dark and stormy night out on the ocean, or the sea, I guess I should say. Let let me just pick it up, uh, John chapter 6. Let's start with verse 15. Kind of coming on the heels, we looked briefly at this last week of the feeding of the 5,000. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. 
When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea had become rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, understand the scene. Jesus has fed the 5,000, the crowds wanting to make him king. He's pushing back from that because they want to make him a king, as we said last week, not for his kingdom, but a king to serve their kingdom. And then he sends the disciples into a boat while he goes to the mountain. He intentionally separated himself from his disciples after this great feeding, the miracle of feeding the thousands. Why? Why did he do that? Well, as we look at this account, and it's paralleled in all the other gospel accounts, we kind of pick up at least some, perhaps, reasons why. The first was to reject the call of the crowd. Uh, the call of the crowd that, uh, that wanted to, to use him for their purposes, and he was rejecting that call. So he goes to the mountain. But also to spend time alone with his father. We find in the other gospel accounts that he, he went there intentionally to pray. And what a, what a great even model for us. Sometimes when we expend ourselves, when we're pouring ourselves out and serving others, we need time of, of refueling and replenishment and renewal in the presence of the Father. He spends time alone with his Father. But also, he's placing his disciples intentionally in a position of trust. This, this is almost a pop quiz, if you will. You remember those from school, right? <laughs> if you were prepared, they weren't so scary. If you hadn't read what you were supposed to have read, they were really intimidating, right? And, and so he's just taught them this incredible lesson of his power, his authority, through the feeding of the 5,000. And we talked about last week, they picked up 12 baskets of leftovers, right? 12 visual reminders, 12 object lessons of his power, of his sufficiency. And he says, all right, let's see what you learned. Let's apply what you learned. And he sends them into a boat intentionally, into a storm. Now there are storms that come into all of our lives. Sometimes they come just as a result of living in a, in a sin-scarred world. But there are two ways that we can get into a storm. One of the ways is by fleeing God's will. You remember Jonah in the Old Testament? God said, go here, do this. He said, I don't like that plan. I don't wanna be a part of that. I've got a better idea. So he took off the other way. And what does God do? He sends a storm. He sends a storm. Sometimes we find ourselves in a storm because we experience the inevitable consequences of our choices, our choices to flee 
God's will, to do it our way instead of his way. And God uses these. And we might call these storms of correction. Storms of correction that, that God in love will, will, will correct us. He, he, he won't just ignore us fleeing his will, but because he cares about a child of his, he'll, he'll use a storm to correct us, to get us back on path, to cause us to return the other and turn the other way. Sometimes there are storms of uh, correction from fleeing God's will. But we can also get into a storm by obeying God's will. You say, well, what's up with that, right? Uh, but think about it. Think, let's, let's again, let's get a quick Old Testament example. Remember Daniel, the lion's den? Sometimes we know the story, at least he was in there and the lions didn't eat him and he got out. But sometimes we don't know why he got in there in the first place. He got in there by obeying God, by being true to God, by continuing to kneel and pray to God, even when the law of the land said, don't do it, and this will be the penalty. He found himself in the middle of a storm because he obeyed the will of God. Go to the New Testament, the apostles and Acts. They're threatened, don't talk about Jesus. And they said, listen, you decide. (laughs) (laughs) but we're going to obey God rather than men. And what happens? Some get arrested. Some die. They find themselves in the middle of a storm because they obeyed God's will. And in this instance, the disciples find themselves in this storm at the direction of Jesus. Let's look, Mark's parallel account makes it a little clearer. Immediately, he, being Jesus, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat. He said, you do this. He made them. He directed them. You might want to even circle that that word made. He made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Why were they in this storm? Because Jesus sent them into the storm. We might call these storms of perfection. Storms of perfection. It's not, it's not because I was disobeying God. It's not because I chose my way instead of his way. No, I was following his way. I was walking in his way, and yet I experienced this storm. And it's, it's kind of the, the, the living illustration of, of that word picture from John 15 about the vine and the branches. And what does the master gardener do? Sometimes he prunes. He prunes. And one of the ways that God sometimes prunes our lives is through storms. He'll use a storm, not necessarily because of disobedience, perhaps even because of obedience. But I want you to hear me this morning. Whether it's correction or perfection, wherever that storm has come from, it is always an act of God's love informed by his perfect wisdom. Whether you find yourself today or in days ahead in a storm by by virtue of just living in a sin-scarred world or by correction or perfection, know that behind it is God's love informed by God's wisdom. 
But even when you know that, that doesn't mean that storms aren't frightening because they, they can be, they can be. In fact, it is Matthew's parallel account that pulls that out. Uh, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, grown men, some of them experienced fishermen. They knew what it was to be in a boat in choppy water, right? Terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, here's what I want you to see. Fear can do powerful things to us. And the disciples' fear in this instance had two powerful impacts on the way that they saw things and the way that they saw reality. The first one is their fear kept them from recognizing Jesus. It kept them from recognizing Jesus, that here he was coming to them in the midst of the storm, and they didn't recognize him in their fear. Sometimes, in the middle of fear, we don't recognize the presence of God. We can feel like he's not here. He's he's kind of left us to do this by ourselves. And even if we know in our head that's probably not true, it kind of feels that way in our gut sometimes. Fear can keep us from recognizing the presence of Jesus. Have us feel like God is far away. But the fear also did something else for these disciples. It caused them to be terrified of Jesus. So that here Jesus is coming to them and, and they, are, they are fearful. They cry out in fear. They, they don't recognize. They say it, it, it's, a, it's a ghost. And sometimes in the middle of a storm, particularly if it's a storm of perfection, sometimes what we fear is Jesus' presence and what he might be doing. And what he might be asking of us. And what he might require of us in that pruning process. We become fearful of what Jesus may ask us to say or to do. Storms cause us to forget the presence of God. To be even terrified of the requirements of a loving God. That's why perhaps the most repeated command in the scripture is some version of do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Did you see it there in John's gospel when we just read it? But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. In the middle of the storm, remember, he is with you. Do not be afraid. If he asks you to do something that seems too hard or too big or too difficult or impossible or or is going to just bust up your comfort zone, do not be afraid because whatever he guides you to do is guided by his perfect love and guided by his perfect wisdom. But please hear me this morning. The life of faith is not the absence of storms or frightening situations. It's the presence of Christ in the middle of the storm. It's the one who gives us his power and his peace. And this story teaches us some things 
about how God gives us the resources to deal with our fears. Notice kind of the progression here. First is Jesus moves toward us. He moves us, I should say, toward our fears. He moves us towards our fears. Think about it. He intentionally sent them into a situation where their fears would be challenged. And it's going to happen with you and I. If we are walking with God, if we are seeking to follow after Jesus Christ, he's going to lead us into some places that are going to be fearful. They're going to be bigger than us. They're going to be outside of our comfort zone. They're going to cause some challenges into our life. Jesus, who wants to shape us and grow us and conform us to his image, will move us intentionally towards our fears. So we will face our fears. But here's the good news. Jesus enters into our fears. He doesn't just send us towards our fears, but he comes with us. He enters into our fears. Again, let's just go Old Testament example. Same book, book of Daniel. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three of Daniel's friends? (laughs) They were threatened. Hey, if you don't go along and get along, if you don't bow down to this idol, you're going to be thrown into the furnace. And it's hot. Fact is, we're going to stoke it up. And their response is, we have a God who can rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we won't bow down. We're going to be faithful and true to him. True to his word, they tossed him in the furnace. But the shock came when there was a fourth in the fire. Because not only... Well, Jesus move us toward our fears, but Jesus enters into our fears. He joins us there. When, when, very often when you and I are, are, are face to face with our fear, the first thing we do, or first thing we should start doing, is we've got to start looking for Jesus Christ. But where, where are you at work, Father? Where are you at work, Christ? What are you doing in the midst of this? What are you doing in me? What are you doing in the situation and circumstances around? But here's what'll happen. Here's what'll happen in our flesh when we find ourselves in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a fearful situation. Instead of the first thing we look for is Jesus, often the first thing we look for is a way out, right? (laughs) Make it stop. Get me out of here. Get me to a point of safety as quickly as I can. Where what Christ wants to do is look for me. Look for where I am at work. And then Jesus calls upon us to trust, to trust him with our fears, to invite him into the boat, right? I'm in in this boat, I'm in the middle of the storm. Christ, I invite you in. I don't want to keep you on the outside. I invite you in. But if you invite him in, he doesn't just come in as a passenger. He doesn't even just come in as one of the crew, He comes as captain. He comes as Lord. He comes as the one who is in charge. And here's what will happen. When I invite him into the boat, my fear is transformed. My fear is transformed when I invite Jesus Christ into the middle of it. 
And what does he do? Jesus moves us through our fears. He sends us toward our fears. He, he, he is at work in the midst of it and he, he enters into those fears with us as we entrust him in the middle of those fears. He moves us through our fears so, so that, it, that he moves us beyond them. He doesn't necessarily always take them away. He doesn't uh, always miraculously move us out of them, but he will move us through them to where he wants us to be. As God brings us face to face with our fears, we discover something, something about him and something about ourselves. We discover untapped gifts and resources and power in our lives that we never dreamed possible. Now, can I pause here for a moment? Hear me, if you're serious about walking with God, if you're serious about serving God, if you're serious about using your one and only life to make a difference that matters now and for all eternity, you're gonna come face to face with fear because he will lead you to places you wouldn't go in your flesh. He will call you to things that are beyond your ability. He will stretch you beyond your comfort zone. He'll give out God-sized assignments that require the presence and the power and the provision of God. But he will go with you. He will go with you. So let me try to put this together, some four quick lessons from the storm. The first one is this, Jesus sees and knows our needs. Jesus sees and knows our needs. Let's go back to Mark's account. And he saw, Jesus saw, he's on the mountain, he's praying. He saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. Just to remind myself, when I find myself in the middle of a storm, whether it's a storm of correction or perfection, he sees, he knows, he knows exactly where I am. It's, it's not like I dropped off the radar, right? He sees, he knows exactly where you are and what you're going through. He understands the wind. He understands that you perhaps are making headway painfully in the midst of it. But not only does he see and know, but Jesus says, I will come to you. Jesus will come to us in the storm. I love William Barclay. Uh, wrote his old, old commentaries. And uh, in his commentary on this, he, he, he talked about a, a school teacher. And this was back in the days of, of smaller schools and a lot of grades, perhaps even in one room and uh, out in a rural area uh, and, uh, of uh, the Britain. And <laughs> said that uh, the, the teacher had taught uh, this story to the, the students uh, about the Jesus and the storm and the walking on the water and uh, stilling the storm and all those things. And, and a huge snowstorm came up. And, you know, there weren't buses and all those things, so part of the teacher had to kind of get the students out and, and get them. So they're, they're making their way through the storm and they're making their way through the, the snow drifts. And one little boy obviously had been paying attention to the story. So the one little boy says, we, we sure could be using that Jesus chap here right about now. <laughs> Don't you love it? The whole British mindset, right? We sure could be using that chap Jesus here right about now. And maybe you found yourself in a storm and said, you know what? 
I sure could be using that chap Jesus here right now. He's there. He sees. He knows. He'll come to you in the middle of the storm. But when he comes, he comes in power and he comes in authority. Let's just stick in Mark's gospel. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. I know so much of life sometimes feels out of control, especially this year. Life feels out of control, doesn't it? And maybe, maybe you're worried about uh, COVID or maybe you worry about election results or maybe uh, the economy or, or this, that, or the other. But listen, he is with you. He will come to you in the middle of the storm. And when he comes, he always comes in power. He always comes in authority. And that doesn't mean he always exercises the way we want him to when we want him to. But it means that he is always present. And when he is present, he is the one who has all power and all authority, even over the storm. And the fourth lesson is that Jesus is able. He is able to get you to the place he has called you. He is able to get you to the place that he has called you. Hey, I don't know if you noticed it or not. Some, some feel like this is kind of the, uh, a miracle within the miracle, but the last verse we read, verse 21, then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. In this moment, immediately, he, he took them from the center of the storm to where they were going. When Jesus sends you someplace, he knows how to get you there, even through the middle of a storm. To just, to understand that wherever he calls me to go, whatever he calls me to do, he is able to get me to the place where he has called me. But before we wrap this up, I want to kind of give you two pictures that kind of tie into this. Because what we find, particularly in John's gospel, is that when, when there's a miracle, it, it has something to say in the moment, but it also sometimes points to, to other truth. And so two pictures. The first picture is that in some sense, this miracle was a foreshadowing. It was a foreshadowing of what was going to take place. Because there was a time that was going to be coming when Jesus would intentionally separate from them. According to the will of his Father, he would be arrested, he would be crucified, and he would be buried. And for those three uncertain days, the disciples would be filled with questions and fears and wondering if they had misplaced hopes and all of those things. In fact, as we find them in Acts hovering, kind of hiding out behind locked doors, right? But the foreshadowing is, while they felt like they were alone, he came to them. 
miraculously, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ came to be with them. This episode of the storm foreshadowed what was to come in their experience that Jesus would intentionally separate from them, but he would miraculously come to them. But I think it's also a picture of you and I today. For what we know in Scripture is that the resurrected Lord is not himself present with us, but the Holy Spirit is with us. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. But what is Christ doing now? The Scripture tells us, just as Jesus was on the mountain in prayer and saw and know exactly what was going on in the storm, right now, Jesus Christ is interceding at the right hand of the Father. If you're in the middle of a storm, know he sees you, he knows, and he is interceding for you. Bill and Gloria Gaither have written so many, many songs that some of us have sung some for years. Sometimes we're still singing some of them. But some of those songs grew out of just life experience. And perhaps one of their most loved songs grew out of a storm. Because he lives. Gloria Gaither wrote the words to that out of a trying time in their life. Her husband, Bill, had been battling some serious illness Their music was being slammed and criticized by others as being not spiritual. And she was pregnant, expecting a child, and feeling kind of this attack on all sides. And on a New Year's Eve night, she found herself alone in a a dark room, experiencing torment and fear. And here's some of her words. I sat alone in the darkness thinking about the rebellious world and all of our problems and about our baby yet unborn. Who in their right mind would bring a child into a world like this? And then she said, at the height of her fear, something happened. The panic that had begun to build inside her was gently dispelled by a reassuring presence and a soft voice that she just felt like was saying, don't forget the empty tomb. Don't forget the empty tomb. And then I knew that I could have that baby and I could face whatever was ahead with optimism and trust, for I had been reminded that it was all worth it because he lives. And she began to write those words. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives, but greater still the calm assurance This child can face uncertain days because he lives. Because he lives, I can face 
tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. That's a faith that works even in the midst of the storms. Would you pray with me, please? Father, how we thank you <laughs> that you never leave us, you never forsake us. Even when we don't see you or sense you, we know that you are there, we know that you are at work. And Father, we, we thank you that we can face uncertain days because we know that you live. And so, Father, I pray, I pray, Father, that, that there would not be one person within the sound of my voice who would not know the hope that only comes through Jesus Christ. Father, that today might even be a day when you draw someone to yourself by your grace, that you draw them to you as the forgiver of their sin and the rightful leader and Lord of their life. And Father, I pray for those of us who name the name of Christ Jesus, knowing that storms are an inevitable part of life in this sin-scarred world. Father, help us to, to face them with a faith that truly works because of the presence and the power of Jesus Christ, in whose name we do pray. Amen.